Yo, it's your man Mo Morris, the one man army, and welcome strictly to, for the brothers. You know, brothers, I grew up in church, right? And I saw a lot of people be redeemed. You know, I've seen a lot of people forgiven, they forgiven themselves, the need to turn their life around, and they get on the track to turn their life around, and, and they they... They get some ups and downs, but they eventually get there. Some get there, some don't. Some people reach the redemption and some don't. Redemption is when you got to correct the wrong. That's redemption. You know, when you didn't fail, when you didn't screwed the pooch, when you didn't fumble, when you didn't drop the ball, when you wasn't where you were supposed to be, you need to be redeemed because you made the wrong decision first. That's why we need redemption. But brothers, one of the best things you can be on this planet is an excellent decision maker. If you are an excellent decision maker, you are putting yourself in a position to have success. But when you are a poor decision maker, that's when you need redemption. So there's no need for redemption if you're making the best decision in the beginning. If you're making the right moves right now, you know, I found myself thinking about my godfather, man. I love my godfather. My godfather's name is Spencer Jones. This man saved my life. I don't care what nobody say. I don't care how much money I ever make in my life. I don't care wherever I travel to. I would not be there without the love for my family, my grandmother's prayers and Spencer Jones stepping up for me. Period. That's why his family, his grandchildren, as long as I breathe, they good. You understand me? Because that man saved my life. I was thinking about him. And this, my, this guy's my dad. Make no mistake about it. And I want my father proud of me. I do. You know, I want him proud of me. I want when my dad look at me, I see pride in his eyes and he smiles and he's proud of me. Right. He's proud of the man that I've turned into, right? But I've seen the other side. A lot of homies, you know, they get locked up and they come home. They need redemption. You know, because they didn't screw the pooch. They didn't, they didn't really mess their life up. You understand? But see, I want my family to look at me. I don't want to be redeemed. You know, growing up in church, you, you talk about that. You hear people talk about that's why God gave us Christ so he can redeem our sins. Okay, good. I don't need nobody redemption. Not if I'm making the right decision in the beginning. What I want to be is a great decision maker where I don't need redemption. See, I don't need redemption right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah we didn't we didn't did some things in our lives that we that, that, that we need forgiveness for uh, most definitely, most definitely. But I'm talking about my grown man. I'm 47 years old, y'all. I don't need to be a poor decision maker. I need to make up in my mind who I'm going to be. And that's what I did. And who I'm going to be and redemption don't go together. Because I'm not going to put myself in the position where I screw the pooch. Where I got to be somewhere crying and asking for forgiveness and foaming at the mouth. For what? I know what I'm supposed to be doing. There is no need for redemption if you're making the right decision in the beginning. We got to do what's right off top. You understand what I'm saying? Brothers, if you don't want baby mama drama, you shouldn't have a baby. Period. 
Ain't nobody worth the naked head, guys. I don't care how fine she is. I don't care how big her ass is. I don't care how big her breast is. I don't want to hear it. We do not need to become fathers before we are ready to become fathers just because we want some pussy. I ain't going. And we need to get our mind right on this, family. We need to quit playing games. There is no need for redemption if you are making the right decisions, uh, if you live in your life right. And see, bros, if you want to re avoid redemption, have an understanding of your story. And what I mean by having an understanding of your story, understand how you want your story to go. See, we are the author of our lives. You know, your neighborhood is not the author of your life. Your neighborhood don't create your life. Your family is not your life. Yeah, we love our family. But when it comes to our life, each and every one of us have an individual responsibility to build the life that we want to live. Don't tell me about your mama only had one leg. That ain't got nothing to do with you getting your neck up and going to school and making the right decisions and staying out of trouble. If your mama only got one leg, you for damn sure need to be making the right decisions the first time. We got to quit looking at our situations in our lives and, 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 and sewing them up and, and making them into the best excuse a man could ever give. We need to cut that out, family. That is unacceptable. Excuses are tools of the incompetent. Those that use them hardly amount to anything. Family, don't nobody want to hear the blame game rules, family. Don't nobody want to hear your rules for blaming this and blaming that and blaming her or blaming him. Ain't nobody hearing that, family. Ain't nobody hearing that, brothers, that we have to mature. We have to mature. You know, I'm not a big wine drinker. But, you know, wine gets better over time. Wine. If you let a wine sit, it would it would get better and better and better and better because the ingredients that went into that that wine will come together and they will mature together and they taste. The taste will get better over time. Right. So I'm bringing that example up to say, you know, brothers, you ain't going to be fired up to do right all the time. <laughs> You're not. We've been raised to believe that that doing right. I'm not saying I was raised like that, but society, we're living in a society today that promotes wrong like it's right and makes right look wrong. That's what we live at today. You know, that's what we live at today. That's what we live at today. You know, a lot of people have been having conversations about P-Valley. And brothers, some brothers are just offended by P-Valley. Just offended, right? So I was listening to uh, one of the brothers that's on P-Valley. I was listening to his interview. And in his interview, he was talking about like how he know the black community is going to have a problem with this. You know, the way black men are portrayed on P-Valley. But basically, he was talking about like he's an artist and he wanted to bring this art to the to the black community. He wanted to put his art out there. Right. So, OK, that's a decision he done made. Right. But now. When you make a decision, people, you can't make a person receive your decision your action the way you want it received when we make decisions that impact other people when we make decisions that put our business in front of other people it's their choice how they react to it no matter how you try to present it but everybody ain't gonna go along to get along with you family 
You know, you got to be careful with your decisions because, you know, that brother that's on P-Valley, everybody's going to remember him as that dude on P-Valley that was making out with the dude that wore the wig. Everybody going to remember him for that. My question is, will we remember that dude in three years? You know what I'm saying? Will that dude be on t TV in three years? Huh? You got to make decisions that's going to that's gonna push you forward in life, even when it comes to your career. Hey, man, somebody probably got in his head and told him this, that, and the third. But see, you got to think about the long game. You got to think about what's going on down the line. Because, see, you can make a decision now that sets you back or move you forward or keep you or make you off worse. The decisions we make build our future, right? So if you are finding yourself in a situation that might be controversial, you need to size the situation up and see how this is going to affect you long term. You understand what I'm saying? Like I think about my homies on the block. And you doing what you got to do, right? At least that's the excuse you give. You know, you talk about your mom ain't got no food in the house. Well, your mom ain't got no food in the house. That don't mean you need to be out here creating crime. Your mama needs some redemption. Your mom ain't doing what she was supposed to be doing. Your mama need redemption. Ain't nobody supposed to take care of their mama when they ain't 18 years old yet. If your mama not handicapped, if your mama not bedridden, if your mama, if your mama, if your mama is, is two feet in the ground, good health, then your mama need to get up off her ass and go do what she need to do. I don't want to hear it. There's too many brothers sitting in jail right now talking about they had to do this, that, and the third because what they mama didn't have, didn't have no money. Well, you didn't need to become a criminal because your mama didn't have no money. No, your mama need to get up off her ass. Ain't nowhere in hell no boy supposed to take care of an adult. Mothers that put their sons in that situation need redemption. Fathers who are neglecting their children need redemption. They need to be redeemed. But what I'm saying is we ain't got to have redemption in our life. Not if we making the right decisions from the beginning. And it takes discipline to be a, a disciplined decision maker family. It takes discipline to be an excellent decision making family. You got to have vision. You have to have understanding. Understanding of what, Mo? You got to have understanding of where you want to see your life go. Because if you have an understanding of where you want to see your life go, you just ain't going to do anything with your life because it don't line up where you want your life to go. But if you're going around with a bunch of, I don't know what I want to do. If you're going around with a bunch of that family, you setting yourself up for the trap. You setting yourself up to walk through the redemption door. Because you need rege redemption because you done screwed the pooch because you wanted to sit out and be America's number one thug. And then you got them braces placed on you. Now you've been up in that place and you don't like how that feel. You need redemption because you was a poor decision maker. Hey, man, forgiveness is a part of life. Don't get it twisted. Forgiveness is a part of life. But sometimes the forgiveness that we asking for could have been avoided. That moment, that moment could have been avoided if we would have closed our mouth, if we would have used our mind more, if we would have had a better understanding, if we would have been more patient. If we would have had better controls of our emotion, we wouldn't be sitting in front of nobody talking about, I'm sorry for what I said. No, you ain't sorry for what you said. You just feel convicted based on seeing which, what you said, yo, the impact of it. So then you got to come back and apologize. You said the wrong thing. You didn't got out your mouth with somebody that ain't did nothing but show you love. 
but then you'll go out in the street and bow down to the street king because you know he'll bust you in your mouth. So your grandmama, you know she up the hill now. So you'll talk crazy to your grandmama. You respect you 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 ain't got no love for your daddy. He ain't been around. You love your mama, but uh mama didn't like school so much so she didn't make you read so you don't like school because you don't feel successful in school but you will go to school and disrespect the teacher you'll go to school and disrespect the counselor you'll go to school and disrespect the vice principal you'll go to school and disrespect the principal because education ain't nothing to you but you'll get your neck out here in the street and bow down to this street code Cause see, you worried about what they'll do to you they tell you in the school that you can't put your hands on children no more See, back in the day when I was in school, they could pull that wood out. But see, they got rid of discipline in school because why is that? They got rid of discipline in school. They don't want you praying in school. But you know what? They could talk about same-sex marriage in school, though. So which one is it? Which one is it? It's like you, they, they, try to, they try to tell us that we can't have God in the building like God don't got love for everybody. Now they talking about it's a violation of my rights if you in school talking about it well hell where my rights at i don't want to learn about same-sex marriage i don't want my children learning about that that's not an option but it's an option about if we can have prayer in the school see we as a people need redemption we as people need redemption we didn't allow this system that is supposed to serve us we've allowed this system to tell us that god is not allowed where our children are at <laughs> Yeah, that's what's happening when they say that it's a separation of church and state. They'll look you in your face and tell you that it's a separation of church and state. But I know y'all don't remember this. About four years ago, the Pope came to Washington, D.C. and everybody was foaming at the mouth when he was standing on the floor of Congress. Ain't that ain't that ain't the Pope a representation of church? But they was around here foaming at the mouth, kissing this ring and sitting up here letting him have an audience. On the floor of Congress. Ain't he representing the church? But it wasn't a separation of church and state that day. It was time to kiss the Pope's ring. But then they'll run around here and tell you that you can't have a prayer circle at the school. What part of the game is this? When it come to God, we all need redemption. Because we didn't allow them to take God out of the place. They can tell us that God does not belong in the place where our children at. But they can go in there and teach our children critical, critical race theory. We need redemption. But don't nobody want to hear that. Come on, Mo, it's too early for this. Nah, family, no redemption needed. Get yourself in a situation. I ain't about to be sitting around here crying. I tell you what ain't going to happen. I'll tell you what ain't going to happen. I guarantee I will never have to look my grandson in the face and apologize to him for going to jail. I guarantee my mama would never see me on the front page of the paper and handcuffs. I guarantee you I will not be involved in a sex scandal. I guarantee, I guarantee I will do what I say I'm going to do when it comes to the hood. I'm going to put these programs in the hood. I'm going to stand up tall for the hood. I'm going to speak to the hood and I'm going to provide a message to the hood. And I guarantee you won't be, you won't hear about me stealing no money. I bet you that because I'm not looking for redemption. I'm not looking for redemption. I'm not expecting failure in my life. I'm not expecting to make bad decisions in my life. Why? Because I understand where I'm going. And I'm talking to you about me. I could be on the phone talking about this, that, and the third, and this person, and the mama, and the, they own a pet monkey. I could be doing all that. But I'm telling you what Mo Morris going to do. Why? Because I'm responsible for me. 
And I'm going to let you know, brother, that you need to be careful with your decision making and stay out of the, re the redemption zone. We don't need redemption if we're making the right decisions. No need for redemption. No need for redemption. Brothers, we got to stop making bad decisions that put us in bad situations. When you make bad decisions, what you are doing, you are bringing bad into your life. I am not bringing bad into my life. That's why no redemption is needed, family, because I'm not going around here with the oops, my fault. And, you know, grandma, I mean to cuss you out. And, oh, I'm sorry, sister. I, 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 you ran through my phone. I got four other women. And, oh, man, you know. And, hey, man, I, hey, man, all this money around. I had to put a little in my pocket. Hell no. That's not happening with Mo Morris. I guarantee you that. Because I'm not looking for redemption. What I'm looking for is victory. I'm building it, family. I'm not making that bad decisions that's going to cause me to have a loss. I'm not losing, family. I'm staying in connection with God and I'm praying each and every day. And I'm asking God to take the lead of my life. And I'm asking God to, to direct me. And I'm on the phone praying with my daughter, praying with my grandson. I'm talking to my mama. Why? Because these are areas I needed to get better in. I needed to get stronger in. Let's stop looking for redemption and let's start finding righteousness. Let's make the right decision from the jump. Well, we don't need redemption. Well, we're not looking for somebody to hold our hand and pray with us at the altar and help God to press through and uh, I need forgiveness and all that. Now, family, what you need to do is you need to be the leader of your family. That's what you need to do. You need to be the builder of your future and quit being the dude that keeps spilling the milk on the carpet. Stop fumbling the ball, family. Stop acting shook. Stop acting like you can't be the man you supposed to be when you are God ordained to be that man. As a man, you are God ordained. As a father, you are in a God ordained position. As a son, you are in a God ordained position. As a husband, you are in a God ordained position. God has given us authority based on our titles and what he's created us to be. So if God has created you to be that, that means God is going to assist you in becoming that. But you can't get what God has for you if you're making poor decisions where instead of going to get the lessons and getting the direction and getting the leadership for God, you got to go to God asking for forgiveness and redemption because you can't keep your dick in your pants and be a faithful husband. I ain't going, family. No need for redemption. Brother, stand tall and own your position. And when we do that, family, we won't be looking for redemption because we'll be following the direction and the leadership of our creator. We will be in pursuit of righteousness instead of redemption. When we choose to be the best decision makers and to be the men that God has called us to be, we won't be looking for redemption because we'll be operating in righteousness. Peace. I'm your man, Mo Morris, the one man army. And thank you for listening to Strictly for the Brothers. Peace. What up, Chicago? Yo, what's up, family? It's your man, Mo Morris, the one man army. And welcome to Hood Radio. It's your man, Mo Morris, the one man army. What's up? It's your man, Mo Morris, the one man army. What's up? It's your man, Mo Morris, the one-man army. What's up? And if you ask me how I do, I'm going to tell you I'm winning just like you. When you ask me how I do, I'm going to tell you I'm winning just like you. When you ask me how I do, I'm going to tell you I'm winning just like you.
That's because we winning, family. What's up, family? What's up, family? You know, family, I was born in the pews of my church. Not literally, but I was born in them pews, man. I went to church every Sunday for 20 years. I mean, if I wasn't going to church with my mom, I was going to church with my grandmama. I was part of a church-going family. I remember one time, my first time going to church in the South, we had drove, we, we, we had drove to Atlanta. We would come to the South every summer. So we would come down to Macon, Atlanta. So we went down to my Auntie Lee, Aunt Lee. That's what they call her, Aunt Lee. We went to her church. It was the longest church service I had went through in my life. It was the longest church service that I had endured through in my life. I mean, it was the toughest. It was the toughest church service I had ever been through in what my life. What am I talking about? I'm talking about how long it was. Man, we got up. I thought we was about to leave, man. I was the happiest guy in the world. You know what we got up to do? We got up to go pay the offering. You know when you get up and walk up to the front of the church and pay the offering and come back around? Man, I was the, I was the most upset person. In the, I was hurt, man. My heart was hurt. That we was going back to our seat, man. Because I had never, and I'm at that point, I mean, never have been in a church service that long. And in the South, it's like they moan through some of their music. You know, they, ah, you know, all that. That stuff used to scare the hell out of me. You know, like, what the hell is going on in here, man? You understand what I'm saying? You know, I love the Lord. I'm like, man, you know, what's wrong with Buddy Voice? You know, you know, everybody was loving the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And it was real aggressive and warm. And you know what I'm saying? And the cornbread was good at the church, though. You know what I mean? It was just real in the field, family. You know, the black church is powerful. You know, the black church... There is no civil rights movement without the black church. That's a fact. There is no civil rights movement without the black church. That is a fact. That is undeniable. No one is able to deny that. No one. Right? No one. There is no civil rights movement without the black church no question i think everybody in the room that cares would agree with that but as i've grown up in this society i've seen the black church decrease more and more and more i really have I've seen the black church become more compromising, more accepting, less courageous, 
I mean, it's unbelievable. But the black church was the heartbeat of the civil rights movement, family. I'm talking about in the black church, family, I don't know if you knew this, but they would hold the meetings, they would hold the strategy meetings at the church. They will hold the nonviolent workshops at the church. And the nonviolent workshops was when you was going to have to prepare yourself for somebody to spit in your face and smack you and kick you in your balls and kick you in your ass and you not do nothing. You know, black folks was praying for the strength to accept an ass whooping. For us. For the future. Black folks would meet in the church and pray to accept an ass whooping so they can go out there and fight for our civil rights. They would pray to accept the ass whooping and not fight back. Could you imagine? Yeah, I'm asking you. Could you imagine going to a meeting? And the meeting is there in the meeting, man. Y'all talking about your freedom and fighting for equality and praise God. But then you get in the room and you still talking about fighting for your rights. But people in the room talking about we're going to have to accept this ass whooping. We got to let somebody spit in our face. We're going to have to let somebody smack us. We're going to have to take all this ass whooping so we can get equality. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that you would be mistreated? You was fighting for your human rights. You were being discriminated against because of your color. And to fight for your human rights, to fight for equality, you would have to take an ass whooping. I don't know 10 people in the room right now that's going to be like, you know what? I, hey, man. Hey, I ain't. Hey. I don't know, man, but. I don't know 10 people in the room that's going to let somebody spit in their face. And I'm talking about the mother at the church, too. I see up there foaming with the big hat on her head. She ain't letting nobody spit in her face. If you walk up to the mother in the church right now and spit in her face. If she got a gun on her, she going to shoot you in the church at the altar. And see, I'm down here in the South, so it ain't crazy to think that mother, a church mama got a gun on her. Because these sisters from the South, they know how to handle them pistols, family. You know, we all talking about the love of Christ, but I don't see five people standing up talking about you can spit in my face for Jesus. And these people were sitting up and saying, and they didn't know if they was going to win or not. Because you got to understand, they were saying nigga on the news, y'all. Everybody white was all in one unified step when it came to keeping their foot on the neck of black people. I'm talking about an entire country. I'm talking about it wasn't nobody in the room of decision makers that looked like us, family. Not one time was there a black person in the room fighting for black people's rights in a room full of white folks.
You know why? Because the black folks is worried about the room full of white folks putting a rope around their neck and putting them up on the nearest tree. That's why. Strictly because they was black, family. Not because they had stole some money. Not because they had stole the dog. Not because they had kidnapped somebody's daughter. No, family. They was hanging cats because they were strictly black and they felt like it was all right because they was white. The black church was the heartbeat of the civil rights movement. It was love in the black church. It was support in the black church. It was counseling in the black church. It was singing in the black church. It was crying in the black church. It was anger in the black church. The black church was the heartbeat of the civil rights movement. You hear me? You know, all these speeches we be looking at from back in the day. Homie, that wasn't coming from nobody's house. They were in people's churches, family. They were in the church, family. They were in the church, family. Who was giving black people space to come together and talk about something? You think you can go rent a room from a white man so we can all come together and talk about you, white man? Hell no! The buildings that we were eating in, the buildings that we were meeting in, the buildings that we were rallying in, the buildings that we were working to prepare in were churches. The black church. The black church. The black church. I'm talking about back in the day, you had Pastor Cleveland, you had Pastor New York, you had Pastor Massachusetts, you had Pastor Georgia, you had Pastor Chicago, you had all these prominent big name pastors working together in the name of freeing and supporting and lifting up black people. They weren't walking around with no big boy car, with no jet. They weren't getting no love offering. No, family. They was putting it on the line. They was fighting for the people. They said they was being led by God, and they was willing to work together, and they weren't worried about nobody trying to steal their congregation. Their ego wasn't involved because they was fighting for their people. They was fighting for the future. The black church was the heartbeat of the civil rights movement. I'm talking about every Sunday I was in church, family. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. You know, Children need more than children's church. Oh, we got to get a little bit more serious in children's church. Because, man, I was seeing things as a child that were not lining up with what I was being taught about God. And that impacted how I looked at God. Because the people who were teaching me about God were not always godly in their behavior. I didn't say they wasn't godly people, but they wasn't always godly in their behavior. And I'll tell you one thing that every child can tell you about their parent and they didn't see it in their parent. Every child has seen the hypocrisy of their parent. I said again, every child has seen 
the hypocrisy of their parent. Every child has seen their parent not walk it like they talk it, family. I ain't saying every day, but every child has seen the hypocrisy of their parents. Every child. Every child. Every child. You got young children. You got people walking around here right now talking about they don't know how to be loved by a man or they don't know how to love no man because their father wasn't in their life. Like they didn't have one positive man in their life at all. Like all they had throughout life was women who were either good or bad and the men were just jackasses. The black church was the heartbeat of the civil rights movement. Dr. Martin Luther King would stand behind a pulpit every Sunday and share the gospel. That's how his reputation grew. His reputation, he preached, he spoke more in churches than anywhere else. I don't think anybody can deny that. I don't think anybody can fight that. Martin Luther King spoke in more churches than any other um, platform that he spoke at. Martin Luther King's reputation was developed based on how he preached on Sundays and the different service that, services that he preached. The church was the heartbeat of the civil rights movement. The black church. The black church. The black church. And you know, one thing that challenges me, how black people of achievement, I always try to make sure they, that you don't recognize them as black. You know, I talk about this a couple of times, but Big John Thompson, who's the head coach of uh, Georgetown, University of Georgetown back in the 80s, man. I mean, Big John wasn't no joke, man, you know. And Big John was the first black black um, college coach to win the national championship. You understand what I'm saying? And they was talking to John after the game, and, you know, they was like, how you feeling about this, man? You're the first black coach to win the national championship in the history of America. You're the first black coach. How you feel about it? First thing out John Thompson's mouth was, I, I, I can't wait for the day where I'm just called coach and not black coach. You know what, family? I'm a black man. And everything that I do is going to be done by a black man. You understand what I'm saying? So it's okay if you call me a black poet. It's okay if you call me a black teacher. It's okay if you call me a black speaker. It's okay if you call me a black father. It's okay if you call me a black son. I'm all right with being black. I'm all right with being labeled black. And then you're going to have somebody come around and say, well, we ain't really black. We this. Then you know what, family? If we something else, stand your neck up, get on the platform, and make the world hear you. But until you're ready to grab your sack and sound off and prove what I'm prove what you're talking about and put it in the street, don't sit up here and attack me because I'm saying I'm black and I might be a this or I might be a that. But I don't know because the whole game been structured for me to be ignorant. Yeah, I see this and I hear this and I read this, but that might not agree with that. Like I'm looking at the brothers, they walk around with the turbans on, the red joints. I don't want that on my head. And I ain't, I ain't disrespecting it. I ain't disrespecting it. I don't know everything about it. You can say I'm ignorant. You can say I'm ignorant. 
But every religion on this earth is man-made. Every. Every. You know, the Bible says that no person living can tell you what happens after death. No person living. No person living knows what happens after death. And that's a fact because for you to find out, you would have to what? Die. I don't need to put another uniform on. I'm talking about the red turban, the brothers, you know, the brothers moving around with that. You know, and it's, you, you know, they got that on with regular clothes. And I just be looking like, you know, when you look at the brothers and sisters from Africa, you know, they got on our cloth. They got on our lineage. They wearing our clothes. You understand? Those are African garments. You know what I'm saying? You know, because they saying, hey, this is our culture. This is where we come from. You know what I'm saying? You know, the brothers, the brothers with the turbans on, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that is. And I ain't looking for more religion, family. I'm just going to tell you. So I don't know. I don't know. I might be out of my place. I ain't trying to disrespect nobody. But you know what? I'm a black man living in America, man. I'm a black man living in America. I got more chances to get killed by a black dude than to get a PhD. You know, so excuse me if I'm short and curt right now. But I don't need no more religion, family. Black man with the red turban on. Black man with the dot on your forehead. Black man with the tattoo on your back. Black man that graduated from an um, inner city school. Black man that graduated from college. Black man that got a master's. Black man that got a PhD. Black man that's on the block. Black man that work in the factory. Black man that got four kids. Black man that got three kids. Black man that got two kids. Black man that got one kid. Black man that ain't got no kids. What I want from you, family, is unity. I don't need no red turban on my head. I don't need no dot on my head. I don't need no tattoo on my back. It don't matter if I graduated from an inner city high school, if I graduated from a suburban high school, if I didn't graduate at all. If you are a black man, we are unified. That's way we, 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 we can foam at the mouth and eat the blood and drink this and eat the toe and do all this, that, and the third. And we can swear to God and we can hold it down and we can be as religious as we want to be. But are you my brother? Are you unified with me, black man, Mr. Muslim, Mr. Red Turban, Mr. Hebrew Israelite, Mr. Christian? Are you my brother? Hey, black folks, let me tell you something. You are black before you are anything with yourself. You are black before you are anything. You are black before you are anything with your black self. You are black before you are anything. Black. The black church was the heartbeat of the civil rights movement. The black church was a safe haven. The black church was a school. The black church was a mental institution. The black church was a place where you can get rejuvenated. The black church was a spiritual hub. The black church fought for the future. 
you know, less and less black folks go to church nowadays. I had a sister tell me we're like in our second generation of unchurched black people. Hmm. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking, and I, and you know, you know, I heard it when she said, it, you know, I just nodded, you know, praise God, you know what I'm saying. But why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Could it be? Could it be? Could it be that when when these young people in society, the black young society, the black folks today, you think when they look at society, you think they have a favorable position when it comes to God? Because, see, we're all told that God is in control. Hell, 10 years ago, cats didn't want to hear that. 20 years ago, they ain't want to hear that. 30 years ago, I ain't want to hear that. You understand what I'm saying? Man, when you young and you out here, man, it's hard being young in black family. At least when you grown in black, you got access to some paper. You can go to a job. You can seduce yourself to get through this foolishness that you're dealing with as a black person. But, man, being a black youth, homie, you ain't got no money. Everything you turn around, everywhere you go, somebody trying to tell you what to do. All you got, all you keep hearing about is the future and you living in the present. And nowadays, you sitting up here, got all this temptation around you. You got homies in the street. You got homies hustling. You got homies looking good, selling drugs and driving cars and getting some trim. And what are you supposed to do? And then you got somebody talking about somebody you can't even touch. They telling you that you got to love and worship them. Young people ain't trying to hear that. Young people don't believe that. Young people don't believe that. Not if you challenge. Not if your mama a high school graduate. You ain't believing that because you're struggling. Because your mama's struggling. You ain't trying to believe that. Then you see a picture of Jesus. You're like, oh my God. I for damn sure ain't believing this. Right? Brothers and sisters, if we take a page out of our ancestors' playbook, if we go back in history and we learn and we realize the things that they did and how they did it and how they got down, if we applied those principles to where we at in today's society with all the opportunity. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that we have more opportunity ever than any of our ancestors. I got more opportunity than my grandmother. You know, I was studying last night on a um a lesson I'm about to do. I was studying last night. I was I was I was looking up um black the, the um ten black doctors. And you know a lot of them, the first black, the first black doctor wasn't even a doctor. Dr. Durham, James Durham, he wasn't even a doctor. He was a slave who was taught medicine by his master. And his master would let him do work. So he was the first, James Durham was the first black man to do anything medical. That's what they're telling us. But that's not true because what we don't know is black folks created medicine. But they got us believing the first in our in their history to us, 
See, and that is history. James Durham is history. James Durham is not black history. James Durham is white history. You understand me? James Durham is white history because my history, I know if I know my history, I know the black man created medicine. So James Durham is not black history in the sense that he was the first black person to practice medicine on a, in America. So that's what a white man learned. <laughs> See, that's what a slave master put on record. Not calling our white men slave masters. That's not what I'm on. That's not what I'm saying. But James Durham is a part of white history. See, black history, black history is the pyramids. That's black history. Because it stretches back into time. It stretches back into our beginning. And that's where our history began. See, brothers and sisters, black history is older than the white man. <laughs> Uh-oh, Mo. Don't start talking like that. Black history is older than the white man. Black history is older than man because the black man is the first man. So if the black man is the first man, that means his history is older than society. So like I was saying, white history. James Durham in white history. <laughs> in white history, James Durham it's the first black to practice medicine in the United States. That's white history. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to our history, the black church is at the heartbeat of it. When it comes to our history, the black church is at the heartbeat of it. I must say inside of a church institution, when I was a young um, lover of God, some of my greatest moments and experiences with God were done in church. I felt so connected to God. Hell, I even shed tears. You understand what I'm saying? I know what it feel like to have the spirit of God in the room. I'm not going to front. But it wasn't because we were in church. It was because we were in worship. So. What I'm saying when I say that is you don't have to be in the church building to connect with God. You don't. Church is, I mean, connecting with God is through worship, not through what building you're in. When you worship God, God is there. You understand me? You know, they say, you notice know, this scripture. They were saying um, when two or more gather, God is in the presence. God is in that place. God is with them. No doubt. But I'm not about to sit up here and believe that God created me and I can't get a one on one with God. <laughs> you feel what I'm saying? Hey, man, you don't have to have a corporate relationship with God. God is a personal one on one relationship. Right. So I want to encourage you to focus on it in that manner and build your relationship with your God, with your creator. And I understand, man, I understand what it's been man, to be be upset with God, man. I didn't went at it with God. Don't don't get it twisted. You understand? I mean, God could have struck me down for some of the stuff I was saying, dear Lord. Um, but I was just in a place and I'm saying that to say, man, God is your God. God ain't the uh, missionary Baptist church. God missionary Baptist church don't own God. Presbyterian Presbyterian church don't own God. The Catholic church don't own God. Pentecostal church don't own God. Seven day Adventists don't own God. The Muslims don't own God. The Hebrew Israelites don't own God. 
God is your God. That's your relationship to build and to develop. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. I'm not going to encourage you to go to church. That's not what this is about. But what I am going to encourage you to do is to mimic the black church that was the heartbeat of the civil rights movement. To mimic that. To become the black church in your family. To show love. To be a, a hospital where you know you're showing health care. You know what I'm saying? You're talking to cats about their nutrition. You're talking to them about their eyes. you asking the short. If you want to get a child's attention when it comes to science, ask that child how many bones they got in their body. And the fact that they don't know, because <laughs> the majority not going to know. Hell, you can go up to most adults and they don't know how many bones they got in their body. And when you go with that question, what that's going to do is open up a door for you to be able to talk about health and talk about science and talk about diet. You talk to you. Should, we should be talking to our children about diabetes. We should be talking to our children about cancer. We should be talking to our children about health and the world around them. That's what we should be talking about. When you become the black church, you become in that place of mental health. You become that place where people can get their anger out. You become that place where people can cry in your lap. I'm talking about your children. I'm talking about your family members. I'm talking about becoming the black church in your family. Becoming the black church in your community. Becoming the black church in your child's school. The black church was the heartbeat of the civil rights movement. That is without question. And what we must do, brothers and sisters, we must become a place where our people can meet and come together and build a plan to, to, to impact the future, to change the future, to make our future better, to make our future greater. That's what the black church did for the civil rights movement. That's what the civil rights movement did for the people. If the church wasn't there to swell with the people that met at in somebody's house. All them brothers and sisters couldn't fit nobody's house, y'all. We didn't have no mansions back then, y'all. We had no multi-purpose building, y'all. But we had the black church. The black church was the heartbeat of the civil rights movement. And when we become the, the black church in our community, in our home, in our school, in our church, in our family, what we are doing is empowering others and providing an opportunity and providing space for others to get greater, to learn how to build a better, to build a greater future. Peace. I'm your man, Mo Morris, the one man army. And I want to say thank you for listening to Hood Radio. I'm your man, Mo Morris, the one man army, and thank you for listening to Hood Radio. Peace. What up, Chicago?